Good morning. <laughs> this is going to have you fix that if it was broken. She doesn't even know. She's probably good. It works, though. Um, start all over. Good morning. We're going to look. I do feel a little frazzled this morning. Um, we're going to look at uh, Psalm 15 this morning. Uh, if you turn there in your Bibles, this psalm begins with a question, much like the one last week did with Jeremy when he shared with us. Um, it's pretty common for some psalms to begin with questions. Uh, it gets sort of your mind moving of what's going on. In this psalm, Psalm 15, it begins with, O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent, who shall dwell on your hill? And what questions do sometimes is they tell us a lot about the person asking the question of what they're really trying to know. Uh, I'll give you a little bit of insight into my junior high years, which were many. Um, I took sixth grade twice. That's why there were many. Um, I remember asking this question to people, and I would ask them, do you walk to school or carry your lunch? And then I would sit and just wait for all the awkwardness to take place. Because it's not an or question. Do you walk to school or do you carry your lunch? They have nothing to do with each other. Uh, but to me, as a junior higher, that was really funny to put them on the spot, and people would say, like, uh, my grandma drives me to school. I would think, that's wonderful. So that was some of my junior high years of just liking humor, which probably wasn't even funny. Still is not. So the questions in this one, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your hill? Good questions uh, lead to answers. Insightful people have uh, the right questions. They're asking in life. They're asking uh, the real questions in life. Why are we here? What are we doing? What is the value in life? This question that David asks here gets right to the point of our human existence, our place. But the question implies that we're not alone, that there is a God and his view matters. And maybe this question has no interest to you this morning as you're here. You read that, who shall sojourn in your tent, who shall dwell on your hill, and you think that you don't really care. Maybe a better question to ask is, how do I have a better life? How do I have better relationships? How do I feel more fulfilled in my life? And how do I find peace? This is sort of the direction of David's question. So if those are better questions to you, ask those questions as we look at this psalm. Let me read this psalm. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent, who shall dwell on your hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, does not slander with his tongue, does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest, does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. In asking this question, David is making statements, and some statements he's making is that there's a God, and he's accessible, and he is the owner and possessor of things, and he's hospitable. He's welcoming, that God is welcoming to David's question. And this question addresses God's presence. How does God meet 
with his people who are made in his image? And what does it take to meet with this God? Reading this psalm in isolation from the rest of Scripture, we would be tempted to believe that only someone with these characteristics, who has mastered all of these, only that person could actually enter the presence of God. As if one could be justified by their good character. Because they're a moral person, they've fulfilled these attributes that God would then say, now you've arrived, now you can enter my presence and meet with me. But we're not to take this psalm in isolation. We're to take this psalm with all of Scripture to understand what is happening here. And what David is saying is he's talking not about the entry point of presence with God. He's talking about what is the character of someone who lives within the presence of God, who knows the comfort and peace of walking with God. What does their life look like? What does the justified person live like? We're not justified by moral living. You're not justified. You're not made right before God because you've made good decisions. The Bible is very clear. You're only justified before God uh, by the great and perfect work of Jesus. And then what happens when we have faith in this? God's Holy Spirit dwells within us. So maybe another way to ask this question is, what does it look like to have the Spirit of God active in your life? What will your life look like? <clears throat> Verses 2 through 5 talk about characteristics of this person. Verse 2 gives general, the general integrity, in, integrity of this person. 3 through 5, specific implications of having integrity. And then uh, it ends with the general foundation of this integrity. What does this do for you? Um, but these topics don't just address outwardly how we're presented to people. These topics are really to address inwardly in our heart. What is our motivation to pursue these characteristics? And we can read this in a right way and be somewhat crushed by them because we realize we don't live a blameless life, that we do slander with our tongue, that we do have hatred toward our neighbor, that we do hold things against our friends, that we do not fear the Lord, that when things become uncomfortable to stick to our promises, we do make up excuses just to get out of them, that we do use people for our own either monetary gain or social gain. But sometimes when we look at the source of our failure in our character, and we don't want to look at our own heart as being the real issue. What we want to look at is our circumstance. So we can say that maybe I've broken all of these things because of my circumstance, because I was tired, because of what my boss requires of me at work, because you're married, because you're single, because your kids are demanding. And so we can feel maybe a little wrongly at ease and say, I've broken all those, but it's really because of these things. Instead of taking the more accurate look at uh, failing in these areas is really an issue in our heart. And that's what David is addressing in this. Because he's addressing uh, to us someone who's perfected all these things. 
How would you fill in this blank? If only blank, then I would be able to meet these godly demands of holiness. If only this, then I would become a blameless person. If only this, then I wouldn't slander my neighbor. If only this, then I wouldn't have to abuse the poor financially to uh, strip them in a greedy way to feed my own self. If only what, then I would be able to meet these demands. James Smith, one of my new favorite authors, he writes, to be fully human is to be for something. To be fully human is to be for something. What you define as this something will then begin to rule your life and your passion. So what is this something in your life that you're for? Let's take a few moments just to walk through some of these characteristics. Verse 2 says, He who walks blamelessly and does what is right. This Hebrew word used here for blamelessly means whole or complete. The one who longs to dwell with God knows that walking according to his word brings completeness. Not a burden, but a wholeness. So the one who is justified and changed uh, by Christ, they will have uh, good character. We'll just use the broad term there. And then addresses our speech and speaks truth in his heart and does not slander with his tongue. The avoidance of truth is a real problem for us. We talked about this a few weeks ago. What lies do you want people to believe about you? He who does not slander with his tongue. Slander and gossip is the tearing down of another person to build yourself up. To slander someone is acting as a thief. You're stealing dignity and value from another person to use it to build yourself up. Good character, honorable speech. We would all agree that these are really good things. These are things we like to have in our friends. And does no evil to his neighbor and takes up a reproach, nor takes up a reproach against his friends. This is the calling to love your neighbor in a good direction. To be fully human is to be for something. So as you love your neighbor, what are you what are you loving them for? What direction are you loving them into? How does your love for your neighbor, neighbor reveal then what you are actually for? Verse 5 says, in, those in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but <clears throat> who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change. This person is not attracted to sin. This person's heart is broken for the sin that destroys. Does your heart break over sin? Or does your heart break only for those things that get in your way of the something that you are for? So as we're compiling a short list from this psalm, a good character, honorable speech, wholesome conduct, then David brings up money who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent, looking to get financial, a financial edge at the expense of someone else is evil. 
Taking a bribe against the innocent has the same correlation. It is the greed at this expense of the poor or innocent that is immoral. So here's our short little list. Good character, honorable speech, wholesome conduct, good with money. Uh, we've just described probably the person that you, if you're single, you would like to marry. If you're married, you probably look for those characteristics. If you're a parent, this is the short list you want for your children. Uh, what is the huge problem, though, in this list? The problem is we've, we've named the something. We've said uh, your life is for something, and the something in this list is morality. And this, I think, is one of the big struggles that we have as Christians, is it's way too easy to slide into the path and filling the something with moral living. And I say that because that's my temptation. I know if I make good decisions, um, we're, we're going to respect each other, and we're going to just move down this path of making good decisions together. But in this, in this understanding of moral living, there's no redemption, there's no grace, and there's no freedom. It is law. Good character, honorable speech, wholesome conduct, friends among friends and strangers, good with money. Those are admirable things. But what is the well that feeds a pursuit of those things? All of these characteristics are admirable, but they have to come from somewhere. What is the well that will feed these? What is something that moves you to these things? Uh, sadly, I think uh, we could have a church where if we focus on these characteristics in relationships and in our community group and in our church retreat, and this is what we talk about, uh, we could probably grow in number. We could maybe grow in finances. We could grow in maybe impact in a community. Uh, but we are not going to grow in closeness to the God that made us. Uh, these characteristics are to be a fruit of understanding redemption, of understanding what Jesus has done. And the tension becomes we'd rather uh, show these characteristics because then we can say, look, I am going, growing closer to Jesus and I'm understanding his mercy and grace because I am becoming a person of good character. But the something that you may have is that you just want to be known as someone with good character. You just want to be known as someone who's really good with money. You want to be known as someone who is a kind neighbor. And you're missing the whole entire message of the Bible. Uh, again, James Smith, he wrote this book uh, recently, You Are What You Love, about um, habit and how habits form who we are and how we're involved with habits that we don't even think about. And in this, he says, he talks about his wife loving healthy eating. And then one day, he's reading uh, Wendell Berry in the Costco food court, and he realizes how inconsistent he is. <laughs> And he realizes this is our problem as Christians, is this is who we are. You know, Wendell Berry is a, a great writer and poet about agriculture and uh, kindness to the earth and animals. 
And to read that book while you're sitting in the Costco food court eating a hot dog that was produced uh, probably not from a uh, hog that was treated kindly. This is how we are as Christians. We'll, uh, instead of Wendell Berry, we're reading Scripture. But the activity and the habits that we're creating around us are far from what God has called us to invest in. But somehow, we want to find comfort in that inconsistency. We want to say, well, this is just how life is. What Wendell Berry, or uh, James Smith realizes here in this comment is the realization that the life he knows is good compared to the life that he chooses to live. This psalm might give you some knowledge to think about, and it might create some thoughts. Uh, but if that's all that it ends with is just some thoughts and some knowledge, uh, it's missed the point of doing anything to your heart and addressing that something which you desire to live for. Maybe a more pointed question would be, what did you love more than the gospel this week? What did you love more than God's grace and mercy? What was the something that moved you to action? Even if the action is having good character, if the something is you just want to be known as someone that has good character, you've missed the message of redemption. And in this psalm, this psalm could do two things. It could lead us down two wrong paths in our thought. It could move you to arrogance, that somehow you could check some boxes of your good behavior and leave this morning thinking you are increasing in morality God is more proud of you, and maybe he loves you more. Or another wrong thing, you could leave this morning and just think you're, despair, you're in despair because you can't check any of these boxes. And you know, you know you're not the moral person you need to be. Do you realize in both of these what the something is that is being aimed at? Uh, the, the something that you're aiming at is yourself. The something that you're aiming at is not understanding Jesus and his perfect life and how he has fulfilled these things on your behalf and invited you to dwell with him and to transform you in your heart and desires so that that something that you are for becomes Christ, not moral living. These are both self-centered. Both of these reveal the something of what you want to, your life to be about. <clears throat> we all fall in those two categories so many times. That's why we need to be reminded of uh, what is life truly about. Uh, if the message and the life of Jesus is really that impactful, what does it do? What, is, what did Jesus do? How does he transform you? What does it mean to live understanding the Spirit of God dwells within you? The psalm ends with this statement, he who does these things shall never be moved. 
Again, if we think about this psalm in a pure moral way, we can say, you know what? I just need to try harder. I need to focus more on moral living because the Bible says, I I will never be moved. Paul Tripp, uh, pastor and author, talks about the comfort and the call of the gospel. Uh, And we need to understand them both. And we err on usually one side or the other. We can err in the comfort and say that um, I rest in what Christ has done, but then you have no interest in Christ transforming you. You want to shut down anything that you see that God is making you more and more in his image. Or you focus more on the call and you, you're the moralist, and you say, what I need to do is just be a better person, and then my life will be fulfilled. But it is this mix of understanding the comfort of the gospel that you are welcomed only because of what Jesus has done. You are justified. You are set free. You are forgiven. Grace abounds to you. And then there's a call of the gospel that God loves you so much that you will be transformed into someone who walks further and further down this path of being blameless and trustworthy and you don't slander your neighbor and you love the truth, you love to say the truth and you love to hear the truth. You are generous with your money. You see people as real people who are made in the image of God. This psalm is about Jesus in the end. This is a description of Jesus. He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, does not slander with his tongue, does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but those who honor, uh, but who honors those who fear the Lord, swears to his own hurt, does not change does not put out his money at interest, does not take a bribe against the innocent. This is the description of Jesus in this short little psalm. And he has done all of these things for you. He has fulfilled these things for you. Not that then you don't have to think about any of those things, but he's fulfilled them for you so you don't see these as a burden trying to earn God's favor by doing them. You can say, Jesus fulfilled those. God's favor is on Jesus. God's work is mine because of God's blessing of faith. And now what's going to happen is I'm going to be transformed. Maybe really, really slow. But God is going to transform me so that I can see that I'm becoming more and more blameless, that I can see that I'm slandering my neighbor less and less, that that something, that what life is for, is becoming more and more Jesus and less and less myself. And it is this transformation that we see here, that Jesus has fulfilled those, so we take comfort in that, and then the calling is to walk according to that because this is who Jesus has been to you. 
Titus 2 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness. What trains you to renounce ungodliness? God's grace. It is his grace that trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldliness. It is his grace to us in Jesus that allows us to turn and walk in that grace. This passage goes down in Titus in verse 14 says, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Uh, The beginning call of the Christian life is not be zealous for good works. It is not be a moral person, improve your character, don't slander your neighbor. The beginning call is Jesus has fulfilled everything for you. And that is yours. And we have that interaction with Jesus because of faith, which is also a gift. And so as we get to know Jesus and his character and his grace and his love, then we become people who are interested. The desire is changed in us that then we can extend that to people around us. So what does it look like for the Spirit of God to dwell within a person? This, just simple, these characteristics will be developed. And as these characteristics are being developed, this person is not becoming more proud. This person is actually growing in humility because they realize that Jesus has perfected all of these things for you. What is the something that shapes you? What is the something that moves you in your life? As a church, we want you uh, to be reoriented continually to see that the, the only lasting something, someone that will shape you is Jesus. The only one that will fulfill you is Jesus. And you will be shaped by him. And that's what we are. We're a community of people that's being shaped by Jesus. For some people, it's fast. For some people, it's really slow. But it's all, the root of all of it is God's grace. And so as we come to the table this morning, you may come to the table this morning and uh, God may convict you of your understanding that you think you can check these boxes and be a really good person. Or you might Look at this table and think that you're in despair because you can't even check one of them. The great thing is that's not a requirement to come to this table. Uh, To come to this table, it's faith in Jesus and repentance of sin. And Jesus, as the great host and comforter, calls us and he nourishes us. With that thought, let me pray And then we'll come to the table this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are perfect. You lived a perfect life. Uh, You died a perfect death. You rose again. We thank you that you did all of those things because we cannot. We ask that you would 
shape in us a desire for what is good and lovely, that being you, we pray that we would grow in an understanding of the freedom of the gospel. We pray as we come to this table that your spirit would reveal sin in our life that you are addressing that we need to confess. We pray that your Holy Spirit would also bring comfort and peace. We thank you that you are good and glorious. In your name we pray, amen.